0: Ephesians chapter 3, our main thought will come from one phrase in the um, text, but we're going to read several verses to get the context, Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, Brother Smith, where are you at, Brother? You all stand for the, yep. all right, we'll all stand for the reading of the Word of God. I don't want to offend anybody, Amen. Too late. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 3. Before we read our text, let's go, Lord, in prayer. I'd ask you if you would pray for me, if you would, um, and join me in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege it is not only to stand behind this pulpit, but to stand before these people. I pray, Lord, that you would calm my nerves. I pray that you would allow me to preach clearly the message that I believe you've given for the hour. Father, I ask that you would give me the grace I need to preach. I pray that needs that are here in every heart would be met in Christ. And Father, I pray that you would use the message tonight and the thought to really go in line with what Brother Smith already preached as we look at where you will begin your work. Father, we thank you for all those that travel distances to be here. I pray you'd bless them for that. Lord, we ask now for your help. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, unto Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto Him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Pastor Smith preached a message a few moments ago on the truth that it's time for the Lord to work. And I believe the message tonight goes in line with where I believe it's important the Lord begins the work here at the conference, at least for our purposes this week. Some have said before me, but I believe that it's true, maybe the reason that the Holy Spirit moves Paul to write the word amen at the end of verse 21 is because he's sort of led us through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, teaching good doctrine and theology, and we come to this summit, if you will, of the book where we say unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen, and that's the goal, that God gets glory in our churches. But there's work to be done. It doesn't just happen. And I believe the work that needs to start is found in verse 16, the prayer request that Paul prays that we would be strengthened with might by God's Spirit in our inner man. There's a personal work that must take place in our lives before we ever can worry about an outward work. There are three things I want us to see tonight in the text. I want us to note Paul's posture. We'll spend most of our time in Paul's prayer, and then we'll end with the praise that Paul points us to. But before Paul prays, he bows his knee. That's what he says in verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before Paul prays, he knows his position. Yes, he's an apostle. Yes, he's writing scripture. But God's still God. And yes, we are children of God. More about that in just a second. Yes, we are accepted in the beloved. And yes, we are to come boldly before the throne. But God is still God. God deserves to be reverenced. In Psalm 89, verse 7, long before Our assemblies gathered. God had a desire for all his assemblies. In Psalm 89, 7, the psalmist tells us that God is greatly to be be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. He's who we're about. We're not about an ideology. We're not about a philosophy. We're about the person of Jesus Christ. We're about our Father, God the Father. And he said this, that he's greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. And Men, if we're not reverent in the pulpit, we cannot expect it in the pew. But we are not going to be reverent in the pulpit if we're not devotional in our study. Long before we ever proclaim, thus saith the Lord, there ought to be a time in our personal life where we're crying out, Abba, Father that personal walk, that devotional walk. We can't be dutiful in our study. We can't only study for our church's sake. We have to study for our sake. We need the Lord. And Paul bows his knee. I think it's important the Holy Spirit, uh, I think it's important we note the Holy Spirit and marks that off that we would be reverent to the Lord. And then Paul shares his burden. But I believe it's more than just Paul's burden. The Holy Spirit moves him to write it. So it's, not only Paul's burden, it's God's desire. It's, God desi- it's God's desire that we would be strengthened with might by His Spirit in our inner man. It's God's desire that we would be filled with faith and the knowledge of the love of God. It's God's desire that He'd get glory in the church. But I want to note as we go through the text, and this isn't my, my main point tonight, but I, I, I can't skip over the verse. I want to just draw your attention to it. Paul says he bows his knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now I know at a conference like this, I don't think there's a need to dwell on the fact that the Spirit moved Paul within context to use the word family in verse 15, but the word church in verse 21. We believe what the Scriptures teach clearly, that the church is a body, that which casts a shadow. It means it's physical, it's visible, it's local. It's not ethereal, it's not mystical. So we are what many call, quote, local church guys. But also, at a conference like this, it's good to remind ourselves that while the doctrine of the church is distinct from the doctrine of the family of God, the doctrine of the church does not negate the doctrine of the family of God. This family is in heaven and earth. That means around us. I say it is good to remind ourselves because although I'm not your pastor and I'm not your church member and you're not my church member and you're not my pastor, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. And we ought to treat each other that way. We're not family because we agree on whether or not masks should be required or ignored. We're not... Brothers or family or sisters, if we believe the coronavirus is lethal or not. We're not family because we believe screens in the sanctuary is right or wrong or hymns should be put on the wall or held in our hand. That's not what makes us family. We're not family because we agree or disagree on things that are non-essential. We're family because we have been adopted by our Heavenly Father, having been forgiven of our sin through the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've been sealed and indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I only remind us because, brethren, we need each other. As was just said a few minutes ago, the world is hostile towards the things of God. But let the world be hostile. Let the world be divisive. Let the world be prideful. Let it not be named among the children of God. I'm not suggesting, please hear me, on compromising doctrine or biblical principles just for the sake of keeping a friendship. If we're not to tolerate sin or bad behavior and foul spirits in our churches, surely we are not to allow them in our personal fellowship either. Evil communications does in fact corrupt good manners. But let us temper our quickness to judge another brother with the example of Jesus, the head of our churches. In John 17, Jesus describes to the Father the men the Father gave Him, His church. He describes them this way, they have kept thy word. Jesus never lied. Jesus never exaggerated. Jesus never presented something or someone different than how it or they really were. So how is it that men who had to be upbraided for their unbelief, men who had to be rebuked for acting contrary to the Son of Man, men who were fearful at times, and men who were too bold at other times, Men who sometimes lacked discernment. Men who sometimes thought too much of the temporal instead of the the eternal. Men who reasoned among themselves who the greatest was. Men who at times struggled with pride, selfishness, and lack of compassion. How is it that these men were described as those that kept God's word? There's one reason. Because it was true. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said it. If it was the devil, the accuser of the Brethren, he would have listed the faults and there would have been plenty to list. But it was our Lord. Yes. Amen. And our Lord spoke well of those who had a pattern of obedience to God's word. Amen. And it is our Lord who told us to follow his example. Amen. To love one another as he loved. Sometimes I'm reminded of what the Lord had to teach Peter. What about him over there? Don't worry about John. Don't worry about him over there. You follow me. I have enough to worry about following the Lord on a personal life, not to worry about other people. And so we need each other, men, women too. A friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversity. We're going to face adversity in our churches. We're going to face adversity in our communities, we need each other. And it doesn't mean a brother is born to give adversity, amen? He's there to help through it. And I appreciate what Brother Smith said earlier about working together. When Paul wrote the the letter to the Galatians, he wasn't writing a single church, he was writing a region. He was writing to the churches, plural, of that region. There's an expectation that they were going to read it among themselves, come to these conclusions, work together. But I couldn't get past that verse without dealing with it. So we got that out of the way, amen? No, I think it's important. Otherwise, I don't believe the Lord would have led to do it. The whole family in heaven and earth is named. Choir sang about it just a few minutes ago. And then he says this. Paul's posture was reverence for God. His prayer that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Paul has a dependency here in his prayer, doesn't he? His dependency is on God's authority. He says that he would grant you. You see, Paul had a burden for the church at Ephesus. He had a burden for the people of God. And I believe that we have a similar burden for the people that we're called and privileged to serve and even for ourselves. But this burden did not drive Paul to come at them with some motivational speech. Hey, just keep going. You guys can do this. You just got to dig deeper. Look within. Look within. Paul knew the answer didn't come from within. It would land within, but it would come from above. He didn't say, hang in there, you can do this. He knew they needed the Lord to do this. Because without Him, we can do nothing. James 1 verse 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable, neither shadow of turning. Paul knew It knows then, and we know now, that what we need does not come from within, but it will be found within. It must come from above. And Paul's prayer wasn't for himself, it was for them. So he knows that God has to be involved in this thing. That he would grant you. He has it to give, so we have to ask him for it. So I'm praying that the Father would grant and then he says, not only God's authority is needed, but God's ability is recognized, because he prays not just to the Lord, but he prays according to the riches of His glory. I praise the Lord for that. I mean, it's one thing to give out of our ability. If there was a multimillionaire here tonight, and Brother Smith came up and said, "We're going to take up an offering, and we need to have a have a good offering." And all of us gave $20, $50. That multimillionaire giving 50 bucks, he's giving out of his ability. But he cuts a check for $100,000. Now he's giving according to his riches. He's giving what he's... A lot of other people aren't able to do that, but he is. And Paul says this, I'm praying and my prayer request is according to the riches of his glory. Amen. 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 Just, just think about what the riches God has. Just think about what it's his disposal. It'll get you happy in a little bit. Amen? (laughs) But Paul knew if we're going to need this, I've got to go to the right source. And he has plenty of it. We're not talking about, uh, excuse me, so we are talking about God's ability, not man's. He has the strength to give. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't have the strength to walk through fire, not by themselves. But God had it to give them. And Paul didn't have the strength to deal with his Thorn in the flesh by himself. He besought the Lord three times that it might depart from him. But he got a reply from the Lord that taught him a lesson. The Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient. Amen. I have plenty. So I love the song that was just sung. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. So Paul says, My prayer is that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory. We're talking about his resources. But what is he looking for them to get? Strength in the inner man. Paul doesn't pray for them to be rescued. He doesn't pray for them to be freed from their difficult circumstances. He's already learned this. And for our benefit, the Holy Spirit allows him to record personal testimony. He learned that the answer isn't always about having the circumstances go away, having the difficulty go away. Sometimes the answer is just being strong enough to go through the difficult circumstances. And that's why he says, now listen closely, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. That purpose statement, the power of Christ, may rest upon me. If that's what it means for me to have the power of Christ in my life, I'll take the trial. I'll take the infirmity. I'll I'll take the, 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 the schedule being moved because of COVID rules. I'll take whatever it is that Christ might be exalted and that the power of Christ may be seen. Paul says this, Therefore I take pleasures, listen, in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, not after distresses, not after infirmities, not after, but in them. Why is that? Because he says, for, because when I am weak, then am I strong. But see, that's not a paradox. That's not a a, a contradictory statement. What he's saying is this, when I'm weak, I am strong. When the outward man is weak and the inner man is strong, everything's going to be okay. Amen. We get it backwards. We focus on the outward man instead of the inner man. But Paul prays that they would be strengthened. I believe our prayer this week is that we would be strengthened, that God would begin the work that he is, we're asking Him to do in us. Our inner man might be strengthened this week. This is beautifully illustrated in the life of Jacob. The, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16... For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. That's beautifully illustrated in the life of Jacob. Hebrews, this is bugging me, I've got to get it rid of it. Sorry about that. All right. Inward man, inward man. All right. It's beautifully illustrated in the life of Jacob. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that by faith Jacob... When he was dying, bless Joseph's sons, the Bible tells us this, that he was old. The outward man's perishing, literally, he's dying, and he's leaning upon his staff. But what else is he doing? Worshiping. Worshiping. Yes, his outward man was perishing, but his inward man was just fine. I'm always encouraged when I get to hear men who are past me in age a ways, will not list ages necessarily, but stand up and just preach. And you can, you can just sense, th- these, these men don't have chips on their shoulder, they've got burdens on their heart. And they're preaching, their love for the Lord, their love for God's people. And while it's beautifully illustrated in the life of Jacob, there's a tragic illustration in the life of Samson. Because Samson's focus was on the outward man. <laughs> That's why he went out and shook himself as he had done before. And wist not the spirit had departed from him. I fear that we can be like that in the pulpit if we're not careful. Well, I've preached this before. I've preached this message before. I've, I've done this before. The pulpit is no place for us to come up and shake ourselves as we have done before. It is inner man work behind the pulpit. And because it is inner man work behind the pulpit and in our jobs and roles as as callings as pastors it is our inner man that needs to be strengthened I'm not suggesting only pastors inner inner man has to be strengthened this is for all believers but I want to just speak briefly to pastors we need our inner man strengthened listen to the Lord speak to us through Paul's testimony he says thrice he was beaten with rods once was I stoned thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep and journeyings often in perils of water, perils of robbers, perils by my own countrymen, perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then he says this. Beside those things that are without. That whole list. External. He says this. That which cometh upon me daily. The care of all the churches. That is some list he gives us. Is it not? And he says this. Beside all of that. There's the inner man burden. There's the care of all the churches. There is a care for the churches beloved. Beloved. We're called to feed the church. We're called to lead the church. We're called to protect the church. And this idea of feeding is not something that's isolated. Jesus told Peter, after he got his love figured out, amen, inner man stuff, feed my sheep. Three times, feed my sheep. Paul tells the elders of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 to feed the flock. Peter tells the elders to feed the flock. How do we do that? Word of God. And and that's it. There's nothing else that we can give them that will nourish them, strengthen them like the Word of God. We have to feed them. But as Jesus said to the crowd when they were talking about the manna that came down from heaven, remember that? Moses did not give you that bread. That bread came from the Father in heaven. That bread came from God. Gentlemen, brothers, we don't feed them. The Lord does. But He uses us to deliver the meal. And we need to remember that. It's not about us. The church is not a platform for our ministries. The church is the focus. The church is where the Lord's attention is and He puts us up there to feed them and nourish them. A tool has to be ready to use if you're going to use it effectively. You go out and cut a tree down, you're going to have to sharpen the chainsaw blade. You're going to have to oil the chain. You're going to have to get a bar oil and get it ready to go. I read about it. I don't know it from personal experience. I'm just telling you. You've got to get it ready, right? Well, if it, I mean, that makes sense for an axe. You've got to sharpen the axe blade. You're going to chop down a tree. Well, men, if we expect to be used by the Lord effectively, we have to be ready. That's inner man stuff. Paul says that in Philippians chapter 3, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, that's outward man, I more. You know the text, he lists why. In verse 8 he says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. That's inner man stuff. Knowledge, study, growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but dung that I may win Christ. Amen. True holiness is inward. Amen. Paul told the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you, to you word. Our rejoicing, the reason I'm happy, is because our testimony in simplicity and godly sincerity was not in fleshly wisdom. That's outward stuff. It was by the grace of God. That's inner man stuff. We have to be right ourselves because our calling affects other people. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, the apostle Paul tells Timothy, Take heed unto thyself. Under the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. It's more than just us at stake here, beloved. As I said before, we have no business getting behind the pulpit if we've not been in our study privately, praying, not just studying, but praying. That's inner man stuff. Paul said to feed, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. The church didn't put you there. They voted on you, but God put you there. The Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And then he says this, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. I told you already how Jesus told Peter, and Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 about feeding. Along these lines, I'd like to read you a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. What is the chief end of preaching? I like to think it is this. It is to give men and women a sense of God and his presence. Well, if we're going to give men, end quote, if we're going to give men and women a sense of God's presence, we have to know what it means to be in it. We have to know what it means to have been there. Listen, the inner man is where our spirit is. That's our spirit. That's what it's talking about. And I can't preach a message from the Lord if my spirit doesn't bear witness with his spirit. This, is, this, is, this isn't mystical. It's not some weird, creepy thing where we go in and we do meditation. We find, no, we open up the Word of God and we ask Him to lead us. And sometimes it's as simple as the next chapter or the next verse. Sometimes it's just working through the, the book. And God leads things in the church to just be brought up at the exact right time. We praise the Lord for that. Amen. But to feed effectively, we need the Lord's leadership. Right. We can't go with our gut. Yeah. We have to feed the church. In his book *The Pursuit of God*, A. W. Tozer quotes another man. He says, "There is today no lack of Bible teachers to set forth correctly the principles of the doctrines of Christ, but too many of these seem satisfied to teach the fundamentals of the faith year after year, strangely unaware that there is in their ministry no manifest presence, nor anything unusual in their personal lives. The minister constantly, to, excuse me, they minister constantly to believers who feel within their breasts a longing." which their teaching simply does not satisfy. Amen. I trust I speak in charity, but the lack in our pulpits is real. Yeah. Milton's, by the way, I, I had to hear this before I preached it, amen? I'm not up here as some expert teaching everybody how to do it. I'm just trying to go through the text with you. But I believe this with all my heart. It's tragic, but I believe with all my heart. Listen to what this man says. The hungry sheep look up and are not fed. It is a solemn thing and no small scandal to see God's children starving while actually seated at the Father's table. Amen. It is no small scandal. Maybe our churches don't need a message on how important the Bill of Rights is or how important the Second Amendment is. Maybe our church doesn't need to be reminded of Of how strong and how important the Constitution is. Although it matters as an American citizen. But we don't assemble as American citizens. It's the Lord's day in the Lord's house. Behind the Lord's pulpit opening up His word. I'm not opposed to patriotism. I'm all for it. I love our country. But that won't feed the sheep. Charles Spurgeon said there's coming a day when shepherds won't be feeding sheep. they will be clowns entertaining the goats. <laughs> As I said, maybe we don't need a message on this or that or the Second Amendment, all those things. We, we just need to preach on marriage and how a man should love his wife, how children should obey their parents, how church members should live and act, how holiness and why holiness matters in a personal life. But ultimately, everything goes back to loving the Lord. I heard a man recently talking about his burden. Men aren't being called to preach anymore. Men aren't surrendering to preach anymore. I believe the answer is found in Isaiah. Isaiah never said, here am I, send me, until he first said, then I saw him high and lifted up. And maybe we need less messages begging young people to surrender to full-time service and maybe we just need some more messages on God and His attributes and the Lord Jesus Christ and exalting Him and His finished work on the cross and coming out of the grave and His leading the church. You get your congregation and my congregation with their eyes on Jesus, well, that'll do something. Amen. The outer man can put together an outline, but it takes an inner man to preach a message. And we're not going to feed our, our churches without doing inner man work first. There's more that could be said about protecting our church. And it's, it's important that this gets brought out. Shepherds don't hate wolves, but they love sheep. And so because you love sheep, you attack the wolf. It's 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 that simple. Back to our text, and then we're going to, I think knowing the time is for me on that countdown. So Paul says this, and I, I wanted to spend most of our time on that tonight, because I believe with all my heart, I, when, when, I, when I was told that Brother Smith may ask you when you get there if you're going to preach, I prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, if, if there's an opportunity for me to preach, what would, you, what would you have me to preach? And the answer came in, well, what do I need? And I'm not trying to make it about me, but I'm saying if I go to this conference to get encouraged and strengthened, and that study preparing my heart, well, the study I was doing, I thought, well, I'll just, if I'm asked, this is what I'll, I'll preach. And when Brother Smith asked for it to be the first service, I thought that might make sense because it's more of a preparatory message. I don't have all the answers. I'm just trying to lay before you the need. Our inner man needs to be strengthened. Paul continues and he says to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And then he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And how does that happen? All the fullness of God. Well in Christ Jesus is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You study Christ. Abide in Christ, read his word, try to live like him, desire the spirit of Christ and the mind of Christ so that we might fulfill the work of Christ. That's how we're able to be filled with all the fullness of God. And then his prayer request here strengthen in the inner man, and then to know the love of God. Beloved, sometimes it's good just to be reminded of the love of God. Amen. That the work of the cross, when as far as the east is from the west, Went down all the way into the miry clay where we were. All the way up into heaven where we are now in a relationship with a holy God. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Just dwell on that. Think about that. Meditate on that. Comprehend that with all the saints. There's something to fellowship over. And then he says this. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. That means it's possible, beloved. That means it's possible for this work to happen in us. That this power would be found in us. This inner man strength. Brethren, I believe we should pray the next couple days that our inner man is strengthened with might by God's Spirit. A parched and a thirsty man is not helped by swimming around in pure, clean water he must drink it in. So let us not be content this week to splash around, to enjoy the fellowship and the services, and then be almost dried off by the time we return home. Let's drink it in. Let's be serious about applying the truth that we hear. Let's exhort and edify our brethren through godly fellowship. And then when we go back to our churches, may it be... Said, and may we be the lead where we can say with conviction, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen.